Good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome. Welcome if you're joining us online. Um, just one announcement, um, which I'm sure I don't need to make because it's for the ladies and you're already organised. But there's a ladies' barbecue um, for the people here. Good chance to get together. And uh, that's going to be um, coming up very soon. So please reply to Esther so that she can make sure that whoever's getting the food gets enough for you. It's uh, great to be here. It's great to be able to worship God. And uh, let's draw near to him now in prayer. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for what we've heard about you in the past. We thank you that you show us yourself through the beauty of your creation and all you give us to enjoy. But as we meet together now, we're so glad that you promise to be with your people where two or three are gathered. And we pray that what we do now won't just affect our heads. It won't just be something that we've learned. But we pray that we will meet with you, that we will know you. Know a bit more of what you're really like. Oh Lord, I pray that you'll help us to respond in the right way to you. Amen. So one day... Every Christian will be responding to God in the way we should be. But in the meantime, we can worship him now. And we're going to do that by singing, crown him with many crowns. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
Bible reading this morning um, is in Exodus chapter 12. And just to put the context of, of where we are, God's people had been promised the land many hundreds of years before. They'd gone down into Egypt and they were being dreadfully treated as slaves by a mighty superpower. God sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, basically, why should I? You must be joking. Who is the God that's going to be able to do anything? I am in control. And now we come to the final way that God steps in to make sure his people do go. He sent lots of plagues, but Pharaoh hadn't listened. Now, God makes him listen. And it's good news for God's people. So Exodus chapter 12, we're starting at the beginning, and then we're going to read through to 13, the verse 13, not chapter 13, and then we're going to read again from verse 21 to 42. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. 
It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take, according to the number of persons, according to what each of you can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread, and bitter herbs shall they eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its heads with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then we move through to verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses." And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, 
from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up and go from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as, if you, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let, let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked, baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. This, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. We're looking forward to uh, Sai uh, preaching from that passage later. But we're going to sing again now. And after that, the children could come down the front because John Fuller is going to do the children's talk. And we sing of God's great love. We're singing about the love that brought Jesus from the glory of heaven, not just to live simply on earth, but to give his life consciously, choicefully for his people. So when the music starts, let's sing.
Excellent. Well, I'm actually quite glad we sang that hymn just then, because it kind of links in really well um, with what I'm going to speak to you about this morning, and, this, and what I was talking to you about in Sunday school. What were we talking about in Sunday school this morning, when I was at the front this morning? Can anybody remember? Annie. We were talking about love, weren't we? One of the fruits of the Spirit. But I'm going to talk to you about something else. But first of all, I've got a picture up here. You can have it on the screen. Does anybody know what this is? A plunger. Now, I don't know about you, but when we used to have plungers in our house when we were um, younger, me and my brothers used to grab hold of it and we used to try and stick it on one another's heads. And then we'd pretend to be a Dalek going around the house. Or we'd try to get them, pin them on the ground, and we'd lift their T-shirt up and we'd try and plunge it onto their stomach and see how big a red mark we could get on their stomach. And you can imagine, my mum was not very pleased with that for a couple of reasons. But do we know what we use a plunger for? Does anybody know what we use a plunger for? Flynn? For the toilet. Anything else? Well, let's have a look. So, yep, you can use a plunger for the toilet. So when your toilet gets blocked up, it's a really messy job, isn't it? You really do need a plunger or a toilet brush to put down the toilet to unblock, unclog all that nastiness that's in there. Because if you don't unclog it when it's blocked up, it overflows the toilet, doesn't it, and backs up, and it's really, really disgusting and really, really messy. And we have the same thing here with the sink. Your sink can get blocked up, because I don't know about you, but our sink's always having food chucked down it for some reason and not put in the bin. Like, the kids will chuck their plates in our sink with about half of their food still on it without scraping it in the bin, and then eventually it gets stuck down our sink. And do you think they clean it up? No, they don't. It's always left to me to clean up their mess, and half the time I have to pick it up with my hands and it's disgusting. But sometimes when it gets really badly clogged, you would need a plunger again to unclog that mess. Now, I want to talk to you about something a bit different now, because it's a bit of a dirty tool, a plunger, really, isn't it, when you think about it? It's a bit silly that we were putting on our heads or trying to put it on my brother's stomachs, because when you think about what you use a plunger for, it's a very dirty tool, isn't it? It's not very nice, is it? And my mum used to get more upset with us, not because we're putting it on our heads or on our stomachs, because of what the actual plunger was being used for. And she'd want us to clean our hands and wash up. But it reminds me of another tool that gets used, a very, very important, in fact, the most important tool of all in our lives if we're a Christian, that gets used to clean the mess in our lives. And some people think it looks a bit like this. who's got a cross? Do you see crosses on people? They wear them around their chain and it's always gold and it looks really, really shiny and really nice. Maybe you see pictures of a cross and there's like sun shining out of it and it looks all nice. But really the cross wasn't like that at all. The cross was more like this. It was full of splinters. It was probably full of like dirty blood because it was where the instrument that the Romans used to use to put to death criminals and bad people. And it was the place where God chose to use Jesus for the most amazing thing ever. He used the cross as a dirty instrument for us to be cleansed of all our sins. Because each and every single one of us, we might think that we're good, but genuinely and realistically, we're not really good, are we? We know the bad things that we do. We know the bad things that happen in our lives. And we know that that's a consequence of sin. And you guys have been in Sunday school long enough and in this church here to know, you know, that we're all full of sin and there's only one way that we can be cleansed from our sin and that's by the cross and Jesus dying on it. Our sin, if it's not dealt with, it's almost like those toilets and those sinks, isn't it? It overflows in our lives and it gets more messy, more messy, more messy and more disgusting and it needs dealing with. 
But the problem is, like many of our sinks and toilets, when they get blocked up, it's probably your dad that goes and does the job of unblocking it, isn't it? Because I don't think many mums like that job, do they? But with our sin, the problem is, none of us can deal with it. None of us can sort that problem out. The only person that can truly sort the problem of our sin out is Jesus. And Jesus sorted that problem out by using the instrument of the cross, that dirty, dirty tool of the cross. He died on it, he laid down his life, and he plunged his life down into the depths so that we could be forgiven our sins. And all the punishment that we deserve, all that dirty, filthy sin that is in our lives, can be taken off of us and put onto him. And we're singing in that song earlier about love, love vast as the ocean. And because of that love, vast as the ocean, Jesus, by dying on that dirty cross, has made us as white as snow. He has made us clean, and our sins will never return if we put our trust in Jesus. I think that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And it really got me thinking, didn't it, how wonderful Jesus is, that he would be willing to go to those depths to save us from our sin. Now, um, before you go back to your um, seats, I'm just going to pray quickly. So should we put our hands together, close our eyes, and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus was prepared to die on that dirty cross. He was prepared to sink to the depths so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We thank you so much because of his grace and because of his love, we can be made clean. And I just pray that all these children that are sitting here now will truly understand what Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid so that we could be made free from our sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness. We thank you so much that God is a full of love and that he would send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. Amen. Okay, do you want to go back to your seats? John. Well, uh, let's uh, all join in praying to our great God. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we ask that you will help us as we want to pray to you together. We thank you that You tell us that because Jesus died, we can come to you as our Father. That we can come to the God of heaven, even though we are weak creatures, and not just weak creatures, but we are creatures who fall short of what you want us to be. We ask that you will help us to get more of a grip of your amazing power. That you rule over everything. Everything was made by your hand and there was nothing that was made that wasn't made by you. And you keep everything going. And there's... No power that can get even close to your power. The kings are are like a little drop in the bucket. The great powers of our nations count for nothing. And even the powers of spiritual wickedness, you speak and they go. 
So as we come to you, we pray that you will help us to recognise who we're talking to. And so as we pray to you, Lord, we ask that you will help us to give confidence that you will hear us. Oh Lord, in the world viewed from our point of view, there's so much that's going wrong. But we're glad that one day we will see your kingdom completely revealed. But we pray, Lord, that your kingdom will be revealed more and more in our lives. Lord, we pray that if we belong to you, that the fact that Jesus is our king, that we belong to the Lord who made heaven and earth, and that we have your spirit living in us, will be more and more obvious, that we will have more of the fruit which comes from knowing you, more love, more peace, more goodness, more gentleness, more patience and suffering. Oh Lord, we need you to do that in us because naturally we have none of those things. We pray that we will have a real heart for those who are without you and without hope in this world. Oh Lord, we ask that you'll help us to have our eyes and our ears open and our hearts open too to share the good news about Jesus. Oh Lord, you commanded us to go into the world and spread the good news. And we pray that that will be something that that we actually do rather than just listening about, talking about and singing about. We ask that you will have taken the word that have been taught to the children and to root it. And that you will be taking that and that you will be using that to change their lives, to rescue them from darkness and bring it into the light of knowing you. Oh Lord, we thank you that we've recently had people own you as Lord to publicly confess by baptism that they belong to you. Oh Lord, we pray that you will help them to live for you wholeheartedly. We pray that you will keep them from temptation. We pray that you will keep them from the enemy's attack. And as they have told their friends and their families that they are following you, oh Lord, we pray that you will give them really great opportunities to talk to their their friends and families about you. We pray that as people have been in here who've never been here before, Lord, that you will be working in their hearts to make them hungry to know you. Oh Lord, there is so much darkness in this world and we pray and we long for your light to shine. Oh Lord, we... We pray for America at the moment. Oh Lord, we do thank you that there are so many people in America who would describe themselves as being yours. And we hear some good things coming out of America and we hear lots of bad things. Oh Lord, we pray that as your word is taught that your people in America will be more like you and that they will be a really good influence in that powerful country which has so much influence in the world. 
And Lord, we pray that in the churches where the truth isn't told about you, you will change things. You will change things so that your glory is seen. And that people's lives are revived and more like Jesus. And as we pray that for America, we pray that for our little country. Oh Lord, we we ask that you will give us good rulers. And we pray that the rulers that we have will be honest and truthful. And oh Lord, we do pray that you will turn many of them to you. Oh Lord, we, we are confident that knowing you is the first step to wisdom. And without that, wisdom is missing. So be kind to our country, we pray. Be gracious to a country that's turned against you. Oh Lord, we pray that you will wake us up and turn us to you. And as at this time of the year, many young people are thinking about what the future holds. Oh Lord, we ask that you will give them those who are yours that sense that you have given them great gifts and that those gifts are to be used to please you. Oh Lord, you know the voices they hear. You know the voices that encourage them to be selfish, self-centred, doing what's best for them. Oh Lord, we pray for our young Christians. We pray that you will warm their hearts, that you will give them a strong grip of what it means that the Son of God loved them and gave himself for them, and that he loves them, and he's got good works prepared for them to do. And Lord, we pray that they will be filled with that as their objective in whatever you call them to do. Help them to hear your voice. And Lord, we pray for those of us who are older. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us for the way that so often we get sucked into the way that everyone else is. Help us to listen to you, to follow you, to be seeking to use whatever you've given us to please you, to look forward to that day when we'll meet you and to be living and doing and investing in things where you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh Lord, you notice the little things. And we are so glad that even the smallest thing, a cup of cold water given because we love you, isn't missed. Oh Lord, you're good and kind. And Lord, we thank you that you're such a generous God, that you're full of mercy and you're full of blessing for your children. And Lord, we're glad that you're not just full of love, but that you are a just God. You see the evil, you see the injustice, you see the wickedness, and you will deal with it. Oh, we pray that 
in mercy, many will know what it means to be forgiven because Jesus died for them. Oh Lord, we thank you for for John and for Esther. We thank you for their diligence in serving you. And we pray that this time away will be a real time of refreshing, of meeting with you, and that you will strengthen them and give them joy in you and bring them back to us safely. And we're really glad that we have Sai to preach to us. And Lord, he knows and we know that his words will be powerful and ineffective, powerless and ineffective, unless you come. But we thank you that we can be confident that you will, because you have said that your word will not return to you empty. So we pray that as he speaks to us, we will know that what he says is true. We pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, they will realise how much they need you. And we pray that those of us who do know you will get a fresh understanding of what it means to be forgiven of your care for your people and what the cross means. So do be with us, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing again, and after that, um, Simon's going to come and speak to us. And we sing of Jesus and what he did for us. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. to see you and uh, it's great to be here with you 
And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the passage that Tony read out for us. So if you're using a church Bible, you'll find it on page 53, uh, page 54. It's the book of Exodus and chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, and then verse 21 and onwards. And uh, as you turn uh, those pages up, um, I want you to think back to the last time that you were blamed for something that you didn't do. I think back to the last time when you were blamed for something that you didn't do. Happens to all of us. Um, Often it's something small. Maybe at times it's something bigger. Think back to the last time that you were blamed for something that you didn't do. And think back to how happy you were to be a sacrificial lamb. Um, To stay silent. And to be willing to allow people to think that you had done that thing that was wrong, even when you hadn't done Uh, To carry the can for others, to take the rap on their behalf, to be punished in their place. How willing are you to be a sacrificial lamb? Or did you quickly protest your innocence and justify yourself, defend yourself, even point out the person who had done what was wrong? Um, If you're anything like me, you are a very unwilling sacrificial lamb. Well, Jesus is the ultimate willing sacrificial lamb. Um, In John 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist, referring to Jesus, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, In verse 35, he said again of Jesus, Look, the Lamb of God. Here's the one who has taken the blame and received the punishment that his people deserve by dying on the cross. And one day he's going to return in awesome judgment. And on that day, people will either be safe because they are trusting in his death on the cross as their substitute, or they will be condemned to an everlasting hell. And I want to ask you, how do you feel about those two events? How do you feel about those two events? The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the day of judgment that is coming when he returns. Do they seem real to you? Do they seem real to you? Are they deeply impressed upon you? Do you live in the freshness of those things? Or though you do believe that the cross did happen and though you do believe that the day of judgment will one day come and though you are truly trusting in Jesus, do you sometimes like me find it hard to enter into the reality of these things and what they mean? Well, well, my prayer is that this morning God will use these events in the book of Exodus that we've just read about, events that point forward to the cross and to the day of judgment, uh, to impress upon us and to refresh us in the reality of these things. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, my prayer for you is that before it's too late, that you will put your faith in Jesus, the Passover lamb. Well, last week, on Sunday evening, you were in Exodus 34, looking at a theme that sprung from that, the theme of God's uh, jealousy. Well, this morning, we're kind of going back in time to Exodus and chapter 12, uh, where the people of Israel, they're still being held as slaves and captives uh, by Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, God has told Pharaoh to let his people go, but Pharaoh has stubbornly refused And so God has sent plague after plague after plague after plague upon Egypt. And he's turned the the water of the Nile into blood. He sent a plague of frogs. He sent a plague of gnats. He sent a plague of flies. Uh, Livestock has died. 
He sent a plague of boils, hail, locusts. He's plunged Egypt into darkness. But still, Pharaoh has stubbornly and rebelliously refused to let his people go. And so now God is about to send the tenth plague. And he's about to send the most terrible of plagues, the final plague. Back in chapter 4, God had said that he viewed Israel as his firstborn son. That was how precious Israel is to him. And so, because Pharaoh won't allow God's firstborn son to go, in the final plague, at midnight, on the 14th day of the month, God is going to pass through the land of Egypt in judgment, and he's going to bring death to all firstborn sons. Firstborn sons being representative of their families. After that, God has said, Pharaoh is going to be so defeated that he will let the people of Israel go. Now clearly, the people of Egypt, they deserve to come under God's judgment. They have been stubborn and rebellious and have refused to let God's people go. And yet the people of Israel themselves deserve to come under God's judgment. They were far from perfect too. Uh, They were often very rebellious and very stubborn towards God, meaning that they were also in danger on the night when God would pass through in judgment. And so in God's mercy, God, he provided a way for the, the people of Israel and their firstborn sons to be kept safe. We read of it. Um, He said, verse 5, that every firstborn son found sheltering under the protection of the blood of a lamb on the night that God passed through in judgment, they would not be harmed. God would pass over them. God would pass over their sin. He would pass over their rebellion. He would pass over their stubbornness and he would allow them to live. And of course, it's an event that is remembered by the Jews today. And uh, so what I want us to do for the rest of our time is to, is, is to look at these verses and to see um, how they had to prepare for that night and to see what happened. And to help us, I want to, uh, us to imagine a, a Jewish family. Um, so you have Eliakim, he's the father. Uh, you have Elana, she's the mother. Uh, and they've got three children. They've got Omar, who is their eldest, he's a boy. And then they've got two younger girls, there's Anna and Adira. And, uh, and, and with the night of the Passover fast approaching, we're going to work through our Google calendar uh, and we're going to experience it through their eyes. Uh, and so we come to uh, verses 1 to 5 and it's the 10th day of the month. It's the 10th of Aviv. Uh, you can see from chapter 13 and verse 4 that the month we're in is called the month of, of, of Aviv. That is, means the ear of the corn and it equates to March April time in our calendars. Eliakim wakes up. Perhaps he's stirred because of the sun starting to stream through the cracks of the walls of their house. And his very first thought as he wakes up is, it's the tenth of the month. It's the tenth of the month. Um, He can't get out of his head what God has said is going to happen In four days' time. In four days' time, God is going to pass through the land of Egypt at midnight, bringing death to firstborn sons. Eliakim, this father, thinks of his own firstborn son, Omar. And he thinks of the very real danger that Omar is in. And he knows what he needs to do to keep Omar safe. 
Uh, the family, they start to get up and they have breakfast together. And Eliakim leads them in a time of worship, encouraging them in God's truth and, and prayer. And then Eliakim, he goes out to his flocks and he looks for a specific kind of lamb. He chooses one, verse 5, which has no defects. Uh, the best of lambs, the most valuable of lambs, the most costly of lambs, a superior lamb. He chooses a male lamb, only a year old, and not one that is on the cusp of old age and is soon going to die of natural causes anyway, but one that is healthy and strong and in the prime of its life. And that's the kind of lamb that Eliakim has been told to choose. Why? Because it's a lamb that points forward hundreds of years into the future to Jesus. A Jesus who is sinless and pure. A Jesus who is perfect in every single way, who was without defect, who was without fault, who never did anything wrong. A a lamb who Peter describes in his first letter as being without blemish or spot. A Jesus who is his father's beloved son. A Jesus who is worthy of of all honour and worship and praise. A costly sacrifice. A supreme offering. The best of sacrifices. The ultimate sacrifice. A a young male who is in the prime of his life. And not one who is naturally going to die soon, but one whose life is going to be violently ended on behalf of his people. A Jesus, the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. Uh, Like in verse 5, he takes hold of the lamb and he separates it from the rest of uh, the flock. Uh, Presumably, he puts it in a pen all by by itself. Uh, And maybe Ilana, his wife, and Omar, his son, and Anna and Adira, his two daughters, maybe they come over to the pen where um, this chosen lamb has been placed and, and maybe they just, just stand there looking at the lamb. Maybe they, they lean on the fence or they look through the fence. Maybe they try and put their hands uh, through the fence trying to get the lamb to come and nuzzle their hands. And so the, the tenth of the month turns into the eleventh, verses five and six. And from the 10th day until the 14th day of the month of family, verse 6, they have to keep a special watch over this chosen lamb. Why for four days did they have to set the lamb apart and keep a special watch over it? Was it to guarantee that the lamb would be without defect and kind of wouldn't be harmed during this time, that it would remain this the best of lambs? We, we don't know. But as the 10th day turned into the 11th, and the 11th day turned into the 12th, and the 12th day turned into the 13th, and the 13th day turned into the 14th, surely this land that they had chosen would have become more and more meaningful to them. So did the children give the lamb a name? Children, what name would you have given the lamb? Skippy? Fluffy? It's got to be Larry, hasn't it? As they fed the lamb and gave the lamb water, they would have got to have known it as an, as an individual lamb. It's, it's, it's personality. 
And presumably the lamb would have become more and more affectionate towards them. So maybe every time they entered into its pen, it would have kind of started to have run over to them and butted its head against their legs and uh, and rubbed its head against their legs. Maybe they, they, they picked the lamb up and they cuddled the lamb and they hugged the lamb. And the significance, surely, of this lamb would have deepened and deepened in their parents' and hearts and minds, Eliakim and Ilana. Uh, Ilana. This, this lamb was going to take the place of Omar, their son. It, it was going to be through this lamb's death that their son could be allowed to live. And so just think, how precious and important this lamb must have come to those parents. How real the situation must have felt to them. In in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 5, Jesus is described as our Passover lamb. Jesus is described as our Passover lamb. Is, Is Jesus, the Passover lamb, precious to you? If you're trusting in Jesus, is Jesus precious to you? How precious is Jesus to you? Is, is he real to you? As, as your lamb? As, as, as the one who died for you? Do you love him? Do you love him? Have, have you told him that recently? Have you said to Jesus, I love you. I love you. You are my lamb. You are my lamb. You, you gave yourself for me. And so the 14th of the month arrives. And it's a really busy day because the next day they're going to be leaving Egypt and they're going to start heading towards the promised land, the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that he would give to his people. Uh, were butterflies filling their stomachs? Was there that kind of mix of excitement but nervousness at the same time? How much did Eliakim and Elana tell their children about what was going to happen? Did they tell them everything? Or did they tell them just enough to explain the, the strange things that they were doing? The day starts to draw to a close and twilight arrives, verse 6. And at the same time as the rest of the Israelite community, Eliakim takes hold of the lamb that they've been given uh, given special care over, and he brings to the lamb what Omar would suffer if Omar is not sheltering under the blood of the lamb. He brings death, and he kills the lamb. And verse 22, he drains the blood of this lamb into a basin. And then taking a bunch of hyssop, verse 22, hyssop is thought to be an aromatic plant. He dips the hyssop into the blood and he begins to daub and paint the lamb's blood onto the doorpost and the lintel of their house. Uh, Later on, hyssop would um, start to be used in uh, spiritual cleansing rituals. You can read about them in Leviticus and in Numbers as um, um, these rituals pictured sin and guilt being washed away. You think of David in Psalm 51, and he's come to his senses, and he's realised the awfulness of his sin, his affair with Bathsheba, and the way in which he had murdered Uriah, her husband. And you think of how he, he cried out to God, and he said, purge me with hyssop, 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop. That that rings a New Testament bell, doesn't it? You think in John 19 when Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and the blood is pouring from his wounded head and hands and back and his feet and it's, it's beginning to stain and paint the wood of the cross in exactly the same way that the blood of this lamb is um, covering and staining the uh, wood of the doorposts and lintel of their house. And Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out, I thirst. And so they soak a sponge in sour wine and they attach it to the branch uh, of, of a hyssop plant. Uh, and they press the sponge against Jesus' lips, hyssop. Uh, hyssop is a, it's always a reminder in the Bible of, of, of sin being dealt with and sin being washed away by the blood of a lamb. Okay, here's, here's a question for you. And as you imagine, Eliakim, um, painting the blood on the doorposts of his house and his family, watching Eliakim, is Eliakim full of faith as he does it, as he paints the blood? Is he full of faith? Is he, is he just so confident? Is he perhaps whistling to himself or singing um, a, a hymn or an ancient psalm of hope or joy, salvation? Is, is, is his faith confident? Is he full of faith? Or does he have his doubts? Are, are there a hundred questions going through his mind, including, will it work? Will it work? What if it doesn't work? Uh, what if I'm not painting the blood in the right way? What if it doesn't work? What is your faith like in Jesus? Is it, is it confident faith? Is it faith that is full of assurance in terms of Jesus' death on the cross for you? Or is your faith trembling faith? Is it weak faith? Is it small faith? Is it doubting faith? Either way, Eliakim is expressing saving faith because he's, he's painting the blood on the doorposts. I mean, he's putting his confidence in the blood of the Lamb and in what God has said. And it's exactly the same for us. When we put our trust in Jesus, whether we are full of confidence or whether we have weak and doubting faith, it's saving faith because it's faith in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, Eliakim, he hands the basin of blood to another father. Um, even with their extended family members, they're a small family unit. And verse 4, they're sharing the blood of the lamb and, and the meat of the lamb with another family. Uh, they roast the lamb in fire. Uh, God was very clear about that. It's emphasised, verses 8 and 9. He repeats it. They roast the lamb in fire. It cannot be boiled and it cannot be eaten raw. Uh, why? We don't know. Uh, presumably because fire is associated with sacrifice. And Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, um, was offered up in the fires of his father's wrath on the cross. Uh, they eat it that night with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Verse 8. Unleavened bread is bread that's not been made with leaven or yeast, so it hasn't risen yet. They're leaving the next day and they haven't got time for their bread to rise. 
And what do the bitter herbs symbolise? Well, surely they symbolise their bitter, bitter suffering in Egypt. And even, that, or even more than that, surely they point forward to the, to the bitter suffering of Jesus, the true Passover lamb. And you think of what Jesus did on the night when he was betrayed, before he went to Gethsemane. It was, it was the time of Passover, wasn't it? And Jesus with his disciples in that upper room, they, they, they ate the Passover meal, they remembered this event that we're thinking of this morning. And you think of how Jesus, he took the unleavened bread and he broke it in pieces and he passed it round and he said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And then you think of how he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. And Jesus is the true Passover lamb. And the roast lamb is to be eaten up. And if it's not all eaten, then the leftovers must be burnt. It can't be used in another meal. They can't use it in sandwiches for the next day. It is the Lord's Passover lamb. It can only be for this special meal. And as they eat the lamb, what are they wearing? What are they wearing? Verse 11. Are you notice they're not dressing their pyjamas or dressing gowns ready for bed. No, they're dressed in clothes ready to leave Egypt. So that their belt is fastened, presumably so that their cloaks can be tucked in. Their shoes are on their feet and their staffs are in their hands. And it goes without saying, surely their suitcases are packed. You see, like him and his family, they're not going to bed this night. Uh, they're waiting for the Lord to arrive and they are ready to leave Egypt at a moment's notice. And that's exactly how uh, Christians should be today. Peter tells us that very clearly in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. And, and, and the, the imagery there in verse 13, it's quite hard to see in the, the ESV or the NIV, but if, you, if you're using a, a KJV or an AV, it's, it's far clearer. It goes back to this event. And, and there, Peter, he's, he's saying that Christians, uh, as, as we live in this world, uh, we should be living, waiting for the Lord to come, ready to go to the promised land of heaven. And we should not be so absorbed and taken up with this world uh, that we're not even kind of thinking of the fact that Jesus will come soon, or might come soon, uh, and we're not kind of waiting for him to come. How did Elikim and the family spend the night? Did they spend it encouraging themselves in the promises of God? Those ancient promises that were given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, those promises of blessing? Did they spend it praying? Did they spend it singing ancient hymns and songs and psalms? Did they spend it and thinking about the terrible judgment that God was going to bring on Egypt that midnight. As they thought about God passing through in judgment, did they keep glancing up or glancing over and looking at the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house? Surely they did. You notice in verse 13 that God said that the blood would be a sign to them. It would be a sign to them. Uh, it, it was supposed. It, it was a sign to give them assurance that when God saw the blood, He would pass over them. 
And, and, and verse 22, did they make absolutely sure that they didn't go out of the house that night? Did they make absolutely sure that, that they didn't go away from the protection and the shelter of the blood of the Lamb? You know, though the, the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and though the day of judgment Though it may not feel as real to you as you would like it to, or it should do, nevertheless, it is real. Nevertheless, it is real. And it is as real as it was for Eliakim and Elana and and their family and, and the Passover. You see, judgment is coming to this world. And the days on God's calendar are counting it down. The clock is ticking and one day God's midnight is going to arrive. And the only way for you to be found safe on that day is to be found sheltering under the blood of Jesus. Trusting in him as your Passover lamb. Looking to Jesus as your substitute and as the one who willingly, quietly took the blame for you. And I want to ask you, is that where you are this morning? Do you find yourself sheltering under the protection of the blood of Jesus? And do you find yourself ready for that day when midnight will arrive and God will come in judgment? Or are you exposed? And are you unprotected? And are you outside of the house? And are you not trusting in the blood of the Lamb? This is as real for you as it was for Eliakim and Ilana and their family. And so midnight comes and the 14th turns into the 15th. And verse 29, the Lord comes in judgment. And for all those who are not found sheltering under the blood of the Lamb, it is absolutely devastating. Uh, From the firstborn in the palace uh, to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon, God, he brings death. And finally, verses 30 to 32, Pharaoh lets the people go. And so quickly, Eliakim and Ilana, they get Omar and Anna and Adira together. And verse 37, they join the, the massive amount of people who are now on this exodus out of Egypt. 600,000 men, plus women and children, plus non-Israelites. And you can just imagine this family of five as they interact with other Israelites as they make their way out. What are they talking about? How are they feeling? What are they thinking? Did they feel utter relief at Omar's safety? He's a firstborn son. He's alive. God passed over him and his sin. Uh, Did they feel joy at finally being set free? Did they feel excitement at this adventure that they were now going on as they start heading towards the promised land? Did they feel so thankful to God for rescuing them from Pharaoh? Uh, Did they feel worried and nervous and anxious about the journey that lay ahead? Did they feel secretly disappointed to be leaving Egypt? There's a question. Did they feel secretly disappointed to leave Egypt? If, if you are a Christian this morning, how, 
How did you feel when you realised for the first time that Jesus was your lamb, that he had died for you? How, how did you feel? How did you feel when, for the first time, you realised that, that because of Jesus on the cross, all of your sins were forgiven? And that God, he, he loved you. And that you were no longer a slave of sin or Satan. And that you were no longer going to an everlasting hell. How did you feel when you, when you realised that that was true for you? How did you feel when you began to understand that, 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 that you were no longer going to hell and you are now going to the promised land of heaven? How did you feel? I'll tell you how I felt. I can remember it. It happened here. I was 17 years old. It was at an anniversary service on a Saturday evening. And Psalm 86 and verse 5 had just been preached on. Psalm 86 and verse 5 says this. It says, You, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and full of mercy to all those who call upon you. And in the weeks, months before then, I had been crying out to God to save me, forgive me, but I, I just couldn't believe that he would do that. But then hearing the truth of that verse, um, I, 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 can, I, I started to believe, and I can still remember believing for the, for the very first time that, that Jesus had died for me, and that I was forgiven, and that I was going to heaven. And, and I can still remember the, 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 the sense of joy and relief and hope um, and light uh, that that brought all of my guilt, all of my sin completely taken away. That, that, that massive fear of hell that I'd had for so long was completely gone. And, and as I walked away from the building down to my car in the car park, I just could not stop smiling. I just couldn't stop smiling. I was forgiven. I was, I was no longer going to hell. I was now going to heaven. Jesus had died for me. Jesus was my lamb. Jesus was my lamb. And this morning, if, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know Jesus as your lamb as well. Uh, if you put your trust in him, you can know Jesus as your... How amazing is that? Uh, to know that if you ask God to forgive you and to take away your sin, and if you turn from your life of, of self-centeredness and, and sin, and you turn to Jesus and you put your trust in him as the one who died for you, uh, you too will be forgiven. Because Jesus will be the lamb that was slain on your behalf. And let me tell you, there is nothing better in the universe. There is absolutely nothing better than knowing God and that knowing that God loves you and he's forgiven you and he's saved you and that in his amazing grace, he loves you so much that he wants to spend all eternity with someone like you. There is nothing better in the whole universe. And if Jesus is already your lamb, you cannot begin to understand how blessed you are. You cannot begin to understand how blessed you are. You are so blessed. And do you love him? Do you love him? Jesus loves you. 
He loves you so much that he was willing to be your lamb, though you just do not deserve it. And do you love him? Is he precious to you? Is Jesus your heart? And have you told him that recently? Have you told him that recently? And have you told someone else about him? Are you like John the Baptist as he points people to Jesus and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. He is our Passover Lamb. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Let me pray and then we'll sing our final song. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you so much that he is our Passover lamb. Uh, We thank you, Father, that although we do not deserve it, uh, he willingly laid down his life. Uh, Lord, he shed his blood that we might be forgiven. He gave himself as an offering for sin that we might go free. And, and Father, Lord, uh, uh, more than anything else this morning, Lord, we pray, Father, Lord, that you would help us to love him. And Lord, as we understand of something of his love for us, our Father, help us to love him. And Lord, help us to live our lives, uh, Lord, to express our love to him. And Lord, to honour him and worship him, to obey him. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do this for his glory. Amen. Well, we're going to sing of that lamb in our final song, so please do stand when the music starts.
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen.